Hi, and welcome back to Worlds of Game Space. Today is Memorial Day in the United States, and we remember those who lost their lives serving in this country's armed forces. In remembrance, we fly the flag and, quite often, grill food outside and drink beer, which may seem odd when you think about it, but for me it seems a good way to be remembered. Memorial Day is also traditionally the weekend in the United States that marks the transition from spring into summer. It also kicks off the camping season, being the first weekend that many campgrounds open. So I thought I would use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about one of my favorite games, Firewatch. To set the scene, I just want to say that I love hiking and being outdoors. Especially living in New York City for the last five years, even though so much of my work and passion for design revolves around urban life and the conditions of the city, I still find myself counting down the days to summer and camping hiking season so I can get a chance to escape the noise and stress and just slow down and be with nature. Maybe it's because I grew up in a small town in upstate New York where I was surrounded by acres and acres of woods and fields with all the wildlife it supported. Many species of birds, plenty of deer, raccoons, skunks, groundhog, certainly snakes, frogs, toads, and turtles roaming the pond areas, even red and gray fox, coyote, and bobcats. When I was younger, it was fun to try to identify the animal from the footprint we might see when we took a walk through the woods. My younger sister and I would play for hours in the woods behind my family's house. Sometimes we would build forts, other times we'd try to explore new paths, pretending to be intrepid travelers, or if we were really up for a scare, pretending we were in the Blair Witch Project. I loved having bonfires by the pond, roasting hot dogs and marshmallows, telling scary stories. The night sky would be perfectly dark and clear, the stars bright and shimmering. I'd search for the constellations I knew tried to seek out new ones. When I got a bit older, I enjoyed just laying in the shade on a hot summer's day in the hammock, strung between two perfect trees, reading a book or just letting my mind wander while listening to the bird songs and the wind rustling through the leaves on the trees. It was just the perfect atmosphere. For me, nothing beats being outside in nature. But the game Firewatch comes close at capturing the atmosphere, the feeling of truly experiencing the forest, and it's a very special game to me for those reasons. Firewatch was developed by Campo Santo and released in 2015. It's available now on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. A first-person adventure game set in the Shoshone National Forest, Wyoming, in the year 1989, following the Yellowstone National Park fires in 1988. Firewatch was a game that I was both intrigued by but hesitant to try since it has a somewhat sad opening, but once I got past that, the setting and the anticipation of unraveling a somewhat subtle yet curious mystery gripped me and hooked me in to stay, which meant that I actually played through the entire game in one sitting. I managed to grab every trophy and just all around enjoyed every minute of it. Later, reading some reviews online, I saw a lot of people were upset with the ending, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I honestly thought it was in keeping with the spirit of the game. This game isn't about sensationalization, blowing things up, or jump scares and shock factor. It is scary at times, or a little bit unnerving, but it's more about the deep recesses in your mind and the emotional experience that comes from being in solitude, within nature, with only the voice on the other end of a walkie-talkie to keep you company. 
And boy, I have to say the voice acting for this game was stellar and so critical in the success of the game. Occasionally you see Henry, the main character that you play as, but mostly it's just his feet and hands since it is a first-person game. And you never do see Delilah, who's the voice on the other end of the walkie-talkie. And that's totally fine. Their conversations back and forth are what drove the game forward for me. Even though much of the dialogue was optional, it provides a counterpoint to the physical solitude that Henry faces. Actually, this game is rare in just how much it relies on auditory narrative and sound design. Not only the voice acting, but the hyper-realistic sounds of nature that immerse you in the setting of the forest. The music, too, just sets the tone so perfectly. The score was composed by Chris Remo and features minimalist electric piano and guitar. It never overwhelms the narrative, but rather melds into the atmosphere and sets the scene. Go check it out, and if you like it, you can buy the soundtrack on Bandcamp, which I would recommend. One of the main reasons why the game is so captivating was the beautiful art style and the designer's way of rendering the forest, such that the time of day is communicated by color, tone, and shadow. It captures the truth of nature in a way that I don't think a photorealistic game would be able to do. It's graphical and on the minimalist side, inspired actually by the style of the New Deal era Works Progress Administration posters of the National Park Service. After the Civilian Conservation Corps made several infrastructural improvements to parks in the relatively new National Park Service, the Public Arts Project was put in charge of the promotional advertisement posters through a program launched by Dor Jaeger. There were 14 hand-silk-screened prints that were then distributed in copies to local chambers of commerce to attract visitors to the parks. WPA artist Chester Don Powell is believed to be the chief designer of the majority of the park posters, with the exception of the first and last, which would be Grand Teton and Bandelier, respectively. If you haven't seen them, I'd recommend you check them out. They're amazing pieces of graphic art. I'll link on our blog page, worldsofgamespace.com. Graphic designer Ali Moss, one of the game's artists, admits to being inspired by the WPA posters, and you can see it clearly in the work of art that is Firewatch. But it's much more than just that. The world in Firewatch is given depth and richness through use of bold tonal colors that give dimensionality through layering. Beautiful reds, oranges, yellows, greens that shift as the time of day progresses. In a presentation called The Art of Firewatch, given at GDC 2015, game artist Jane Ng with Campo Santo explained that as opposed to other types of games with a lot of giant evil towers or other crazy features, Firewatch is more minimal as it's depicting the Wyoming wilderness where trees and plants take up all of your visual field. She says, We have to use natural elements to guide the player's eye where we want it to go. And the way that they were able to achieve that was through the abstraction and stylization of the world with strong shapes and silhouettes, very similar to the techniques used on the WPA posters. Now, ironically enough, Firewatch is not set in a national park, but instead a national forest, Shoshone National Forest to be exact, which is known as America's first national forest. The game is set there in name and inspiration only. It's not an exact copy of the actual place by any means. The maps and natural elements differ significantly, but that's fine. The United States Forest Service is an agency of the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 
and it was begun under Theodore Roosevelt's conservation efforts, particularly in concern to Yellowstone National Park. Gifford Pinchot was the first chief forester, and he had a lot of influence on the conservation efforts moving forward. Apparently, in 2009, about 42% of the Forest Service budget goes towards fighting fires, which makes the Shoshone Forest an appropriate place to set firewatch. According to its website, the U.S. Forest Service has over 600 ranger districts. Each district has a staff of 10 to 100 people under the direction of a district ranger, who, in the case of Firewatch, I guess would be our protagonist, Henry, who then reports to a forest supervisor, which would be Delilah. Most on-the-ground activities occur in ranger districts, including trail construction and maintenance, operation of campgrounds, and management of vegetation and wildlife habitat. In the game, your base of operations is in the Fire Watchtower, which is called the Wapiti Ranger Station in the game. Well, in reality, the Wapiti Ranger Station does exist in Shoshone National Forest, and it's the oldest Forest Service Ranger Station in the United States, having been built in 1904 with federal funding. It's been operating continuously ever since its construction, and it's now a National Historic Landmark. It's a fantastic building, a three-room log cabin that was joined later with its office by 1908. The ranger station set the precedent for Forest Service architecture, which was important in Gifford Pinchot's mission. Before Pinchot, the, the park rangers often had to pay for their accommodation and food out of pocket, but as outlined in the Use Book of 1905, Pinchot implemented a policy to provide rangers with a comfortable living accommodation and land to use for growing food to cut down on expenses. The USDA Forest Service architecture has evolved greatly over the years. Originally, much of the rural architecture before 1900 was built without any formal architectural style and maximized local available resources and time, often wood frame or log construction. Structures might have included temporary guard shelters or fire patrols and overnight camping shelters. Siting and placement of these structures had to take into consideration the natural topographic elements as well as potential access points of utilities, including water and telephone lines. After the Wapiti Ranger Station was built, however, and district offices and ranger stations began to be built more regularly, there was a call for a regional standardization of Forest Service architecture. This style moved more towards the building techniques of the time, such as rustic wood framing over log construction, which projected an image of cleanliness and efficiency. Well, with the exception of the Pacific Northwest, where log construction was still more economical. By 1917, construction plans were to be approved by the Washington office, but the design was left open to the individual ranger, so long as they stayed within their designated budget dollar limit. Most of the actual construction was done by local Forest Service employees, and in remote areas, the rangers built their structures themselves, if they had the adequate construction and carpentry skills. Now, the first Forest Service plan book was published in 1929, which offered suggestions of typical plans that could be used in many regions. In the 1920s, the rising popularity of automobiles led to the decline of riding horses, which was before the method used to fight fires in the backcountry. So this evolution led to some architectural changes, and by 1930, rangers were actually required to own their own vehicles rather than horses, which led to a road construction boom. 
This meant that rangers could travel farther faster, and so the number of Forest Service districts could be reduced. This also meant that the rangers' full-time living accommodations could be located in towns so that they could live with their families, with only seasonal or temporary stations in the rural areas of the forest. A big moment came in 1933 when W. Ellis Groban was hired as the first Washington office architect for the Forest Service. He felt that the Forest Service needed to establish a unique architectural identity to express its goals and purpose, and as such he published a book of design concepts called Acceptable Plans, Forest Service Administrative Buildings. The foreword of his publication I find really fascinating, and it reads... Forest service areas are not exclusively parks, nor recreational in character, but, in addition to offering these facilities, they serve highly utilitarian purposes generally, as a result of which it becomes necessary to provide buildings to adequately accommodate and house the personnel and equipment required to properly conduct the varied phases of forest service work. No matter how well buildings may be designed, with but a few exceptions, they seldom enhance the beauty of their natural settings. They are, however, required and necessary to satisfy definite uses which arise to meet human needs, in spite of their encroachment upon nature's pristine beauty. Now, building upon this, Groban also advocated for distinct architectural styles for each region highly vernacular, to signify the history of the land, to respond to the challenges of the climate, and to utilize the available materials and construction techniques. So, for example, desert or semi-desert regions followed adobe or pueblo style of architecture. Grassland areas followed the ranch house style. Woodland areas followed the timber style. And alpine areas followed the alpine style with stone or rough timbers. Groban also outlined the need for site investigation in order to select a proper site for building, as well as how to best orient a building in relation to the sun, prevailing winds, and the time of day. This is so critical, even now, for how we as architects design buildings today, analyzing the program and intended use of the space and where it will be best located in consideration to environmental factors. Groban published a great diagram that used the compass rose for orientation. This, of course, is based on locations in the Northern Hemisphere. In the northerly direction, where there is little to no sun that would directly shine on the building, Groban recommended offices, shops, drafting rooms, studios, pantry, and storage areas. In the east, where the sun rises, he recommended breakfast rooms, kitchens, libraries, and studies. In the south, where midday sun would shine all year, he recommended bedrooms and living rooms. And in the west, where the afternoon sun would shine and set at night, he recommended the dining room. During the Groban era, design was first to be influenced by Forest Service philosophy to respect nature, express utility, and work in harmony with the environment. As we talked about before with the National Park Service advertisement with the WPA posters, the National Forest Service benefited from the New Deal era funding as well, specifically through the Civilian Conservation Corps. Each region had its own chief architect, and the buildings built throughout the country for the Forest Service at this time are important pieces of American architectural design. And now back to Firewatch. If the ranger station in the game is based on the real log cabin Wapiti ranger station, where did it come from? 
Well, I believe it was inspired by one of many fire towers built under the CCC in Shoshone and throughout other national forests at the time. Architecturally, Spruce Mountain Fire Tower looks most similar to the one in Firewatch, with its wood truss structure soaring high above the trees, a set of stairs winding up with it, creating a stoic silhouette against the sky. It was constructed in 1923 and used as a fire lookout tower until the 1970s. In 1977, it was actually opened to the public as an overnight camping location, which apparently gets book solid as soon as the reservations open up, and I can imagine. So, some other interesting items that we come across in the game include the Osborne Firefinder device that's located in Henry's Ranger Station. It's a type of Elidade tool to determine the azimuth of smoke in order to help pinpoint the location of a wildfire in a given area. As we see in the game, the device has a topographic map of the area in the center on a circular table. Typically, in newer ones, there's two sighting apertures that are mounted above the map and they slide around the arc until the person who's viewing can see through the closer sighting hole to see the crosshairs in the furthest sight aligned with the fire. Then the lookout can get the degrees noted on the rim to find the fire's position. Earlier firefinders could do a more basic estimation based on the level and elevation of the table and by referencing distinctive topographic or terrain features on the map. Another feature in the game that we come across are supply catch boxes um, that you find when you're hiking through the forest. Although they look a little bit less substantial in the game, in reality they're often metal and hefty to be truly bear-proof, and sometimes they're areas where campers can store food so that they stay out of reach of the bears. One great aspect in Firewatch is that the gameplay mechanism is simple. You walk, lots, hiking, sometimes climbing, sometimes rappelling down cliffs. You have a simple set of tools, a walkie-talkie, compass, map, an axe to clear any fallen trees. The map and compass work extraordinarily well in this game, not as a secondary element as you might find in other games, but as a truly main feature. It just feels so authentic, and it's proof that games don't need to rely on explosions or shiny fast-paced scenes to be truly captivating and emotionally powerful. As I said before, I played through the game in one sitting, and I was really sad to see it end. Luckily, with the free roam mode, I can jump back in for a hike whenever I want. It's a beautiful game and brings awareness to the amazing accomplishments of the USDA Forest Service. Give them both a try. Maybe you'll feel the powerful sense of solitude that can only come from being immersed by nature and an environment bigger than yourself. of Game Space was produced by me, Jillian Crandall. For show notes and other related content, visit our website at worldsofgamespace.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>